Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. Would you stand with us this morning? Wave across the room. Let someone know you're glad they're here today. Isn't it good to be in church? Isn't it good to be surrounded by God's people? Amen. is the day that you have made whatever comes i won't complain for all my hope is in your name and now your joy awaits my praise i give thanks this morning Good. 
to be in our lives more than some of us are even willing to let you be. So Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us to give away all of those secrets, all of those corners, and put you first place in our life, that you would have full dominion and full authority in our lives, God, that we would follow after you. Praise. And I just want to speak the name of Jesus. I know there is peace within your presence I speak Jesus and I just want to speak the name of Jesus till every dark addiction starts to break declaring there is hope and there is freedom I speak Jesus. 
Come on over every situation. We speak Jesus, that name that is higher, that name that is greater. Hallelujah. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Shout Jesus from the mountains. Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the darkness over Jesus, hallelujah. We worship your name, Jesus. We declare the name of Jesus over our lives, over our families, over our church, over this state, over this nation. Put your hand upon it, oh Lord, your mighty hand. Hallelujah. We thank you, Jesus, that you are in us and among us today, minister to every heart and every life, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, and if you can agree with that, say amen. Praise the Lord. Before you're seated, we're gonna let you uh, greet several people around you, tell them good morning. The children are dismissed to Kids Church. They can go to the back of the, uh, the door where Miss Heather is, praise the Lord. And for those of you who are worshiping with us online today, we're so glad that you are with us. We know that you're going to be ministered to. Amen. too friendly. Y'all, that's from the South. I married a Southern boy. Anyway, great to have you here today. Praise the Lord. If you're worshiping with us today for the first time, there are connect cards in the seat in front of you. If you would just fill one of those out, let us know that you're here. Um, we'll help you, pray with you, do whatever we can to be a blessing to you. Amen. And if you need to communicate with us anyway, if you don't Talk to us in the service, call us. You can come connect, uh, contact us with those 
connect cards. Uh, we have a special person visiting with us. I'm just going to totally embarrass you today. A few of you might know her. Others may not. Uh, Paula, if you will stand. Paula Kirshner. Paula... Paula worked for us for 17 years overseeing our children's ministry. So we've known Paula for 37 years, um, and we love her. She's like a member of our family. She's lived now in Topeka, Kansas for a while. She moved back there like a good daughter to uh, assist her parents as they were getting older. And But she's come out to visit us for a few days, and we're, we're glad that she's here. Praise the Lord. Uh, what can I? Well, oh, I know what I was going to say. Pastor Chip, he was little when she was teaching him in kids' church. Were you eight? Yeah. She was just eight years old. He was just a little boy when Paula was teaching him in kids' church. So you did a good job. You did a good job. I mean, we're just so glad to have her here. And um, uh, then we also want to let you know, you know, I, I mean to say something on occasion, and I always have so much other things to say. Uh, but about, I want to just say a few words about books in our bookstore. Not for the sake of selling books. It's just that, um, you know, the Apostle Paul said, um, I have planted, Apos uh, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. And I know sometimes, you know, we think that, you know, well, we, where we hear good teaching of the word at church. But, you know, we need to be feeding ourselves spiritually every single day. And I have read the vast majority of the books in the bookstore and some of them more than once. And, um, you know, I heard it said like this one time, uh, when I really like potatoes, when you have, um, <laughs> you can tell, uh, and when you, um, have potatoes, you know, it's, it's potatoes, but you fix them up different. You have them mashed, you have them fried, you have them baked, you have them in all various ways, but you still eat the same potatoes. And so we need the same word of God. We don't need something new. We don't need some new wild teaching. There is enough in the word of God of truth that holds us and sustains us and causes us to grow. And so I'm going to tell you about a couple of books in the bookstore that if you haven't read them, there are many in there that are great. I've said this, uh, uh, I know I've talked about this book in recent times because this is the book that we're doing in our ladies' Bible study. But it's called Tongues Beyond the Up Upper Room. And so if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you still need to read this book. There is wisdom and depth and it's comprehensive and every believer should read this book cover to cover. Another, another book, this is an old book. I remember when Fred Price, who's now gone home to be with the Lord, he was up in Los Angeles Christian, Crenshaw Christian Center. I believe he taught this book. It was in the mid, early 80s, I think. We were in the seminars that he was teaching at the time. So uh, Pastor Mike and I have been around for a little while. But his, this book is called Faith, Foolishness, or Presumption. And it's a, it's a great balanced book um, on, um, uh, you know, like for example, uh, you pray for healing and then you say, okay, well, I'm just going to throw my medicine away because I was prayed for for healing. Well, what should you do in that situation? You know, some people have gotten themselves in trouble because they really weren't in faith. They were in presumption about it. And um, uh, one testimony of a man early on in our church, Snyders will remember him, 
and Mitchell's, uh, Walter Guterres. Remember Walter Guterres? Many years ago, and um, he was a wonderful artist, wonderful man, and uh, he's gone to be with the Lord. But he had sugar diabetes, and he was prayed for uh, to be healed of that, but he continued to take his insulin. He did not go off of his insulin. He continued to take it. The doctor monitored him, and after a period of time, I don't remember how long it was. Do you remember, Mike? Was it a year or something like that? I'm sorry, I don't recall. It's been years ago. But he, um, the doctor told him, you know, Mr. Gutierrez, you're fine. Your blood sugar is fine. You don't need to take your insulin anymore. And so he, you know, didn't just toss his insulin away, because he was prayed for, he continued on his insulin, and God heal, and God did heal him in the in you know in the process of time. So this book is a great book on on just the balance of faith. Is it is it faith? Are we operating in faith? Are we operating in foolishness, or are we operating in presumption? The book is far better than the advertising that you just heard. I didn't do a very good job. The book is far better. And then this is the last one. And actually, we only have one of these. But this book <clears throat> is Ministry Gifts. I, too, was in the services that this book was taken from. And the reason I'm talking about this book is because there is very little teaching nowadays on ministry gifts. Ministry gifts are real. And, you know, a lot of times, <laughs> oh, people just call themselves a pastor puts put a label on themselves just because they think it would be something fun to do or I don't know I don't know the reasons but there are qualifications for ministry gifts there are qualifications for them and there are true callings when people are called to the ministry and this book is uh, talks about the five different um, uh, ministry gifts that there are it's a, a apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And uh, it discusses it. Uh, and there are just a lot of labels that people have on themselves now that um, I don't want to say too much because I could open a can of worms that I can't close. But again, the book is far better than the ad. But it's on ministry gifts. And it's just, um, it's a great book as well. Okay, praise the Lord. Say, Thank you, Miss Beth. We still love you, even after that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, and then we're just going to say that after the service today, we had in our hearts, we're going to have a, if you're able to stay with us for a little while, we just had on our hearts that we're going to have a little bit of time of prayer together. And so, uh, so we will be doing that today. Praise the Lord. If the ushers want to come, uh, we'll receive our uh, tithes and offerings this morning. You can find envelopes, as you know, in the seat in front of you. Praise the Lord. Lord, we love you. And we worship you with our lives. We worship you with our giving. We purpose, O oh Lord, to follow after you with all of our heart. Not just to be doer, not just to be hearers of the word of God but to be doers of it in every area. Speak to us today by the Holy Spirit. Minister to each heart that we grow to be more and more like Jesus, shining forth his glory through, in and through our lives. We give you praise, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.
Family, after you've had the chance to give this morning, would you stand and worship with us again? I count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out, working all things out. So yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Oh yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy. same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. So yes, I will lift you high in the make our confession. This is our year of Jubilee. 
We expect manifestations of the Holy Ghost in power. We believe for financial miracles and miracles of healing in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. I'm going to start this morning in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Folks, this is a statement of fact. We oftentimes talk about the promises of God and so forth. But the place that we're living, the point in time that we're living, there's really not too many promises that the Bible tells us are ours. Because this scripture is talking about the redemptive work that Jesus accomplished through his death. We know that he was our substitute. He died in our place. And as this is talking about redemption, there's a redemptive chapter in Isaiah chapter 53. Verses 4 and 5, surely he has borne our sickness and carried our pains. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Here the Bible is telling us, Isaiah is prophesying, what Jesus would die for, the work that he would do to bring about God's redemptive plan for mankind. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. Transgressions and iniquities, really there's not too much difference between the two words. And so we could ask the question, why is it identified twice? Well, Jesus came to the earth specifically to die for mankind. Transgressions and iniquities are both words that refer to sin, wrongdoing. But there are two types of sin that we needed to be redeemed from. We know the personal sins. That would be one of these words. But Jesus had to die for the original sin, the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. So he was wounded for our transgression. In other words, he paid the price. 
for the original sin. brought all of mankind into bondage and then he paid the price for our personal sin he was bruised for our iniquities but then notice there are other things that the Bible tells us he paid the price for the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed this word peace in Isaiah 53, verse 5, is the Hebrew word shalom. It's an all-inclusive word that means well-being in every area. But it's a word that's also translated prosperity in several places in the Bible. It tells us that Jesus paid the price the spiritual price for us. Original sin and personal sins were paid for by the, the substitutionary work of Jesus. And of course, he paid the price in his own blood for sickness and disease. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Verse 1, All the commandments which I command thee this day shall you observe to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know. Let me make a couple of comments here. When the Bible talks about <coughs> and, uh, <coughs> excuse me, when the Bible refers to manna, specifically in this context, where it was a reminder to the children of Israel, the name manna means wonder. And notice that when Moses speaks these things and speaks about these things to the children of Israel, he always says something about it being something that the fathers did not know. He humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord does man live. Manna was the result of God's spoken word. He told Israel that he would provide for them bread 
And this was a major miracle, a sustained miracle that lasted for 40 years. The manna would not cease to be present until Israel comes back to the promised land. And as they were making plans to go into the promised land and, and take the land that God had provided for them, the manna ceased. Now you may remember in Matthew chapter 4 when it tells us that Jesus went into the desert and fasted for 40 days. After that, the devil came to him and tempted him to prove that he was the son of God. He was hungry after having fasted for so long. And the devil told him, if you're the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Jesus responded and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Very simply, he understood the lesson that the Israelites were supposed to have understood, and that is that the Word of God is the source for every physical thing that we would desire or need here on the earth. Verse 4, thy raiment wax not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Thou shalt also consider in thy heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. This word chasten means to discipline. It doesn't necessarily mean to punish, but it means to discipline. Therefore, thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of waters, of fountains and depths that spring up out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig tree and pomegranates and a land of olive oil and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness, thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are, are iron and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he has given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and flocks multiply and thy silver and gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up and thou and forget the Lord thy God which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt. But was notice God doesn't have a problem with you having a good house. He doesn't have a problem with you dwelling in a good house. He doesn't have a problem with your silver and gold being multiplied. Or your herds and your flocks multiplied. And all that you have being multiplied. God doesn't have a problem with any of those things. I know the church does. And there are a lot of people in the modern day church that believe 
that God intends to humble us and deprive us of earthly provision to prove some spiritual point or to claim to be more spiritual by ignoring the things that God is identifying that Jesus would pay the price for. Verse 14, Then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions, and drought where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of Flint. All these things took place because God was trying to show them that the power of his word is the ultimate source of the power of God. He brought them water out of the rock when Moses struck the rock. And water came forth in abundance and supplied millions of people and sustained life for millions of people. But that result came about as, as uh, the accomplishment of the word that was spoken. He led them through the ter- great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions. The fiery serpents never were a problem until they turned against God and Moses and murmured against Moses for 40 years. They never had a problem with fiery serpents until and except for the time that they murmured against God and against Moses. Verse 16, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. So he's warning them not to forget God and forget the things that God did for them. And start saying in their heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swear unto thy fathers as it is this day. Folks, I want you to be aware of something. And that is when it comes to financial provision, There's a special work of the Holy Spirit that is specifically designed to bring you and I and all of God's children who put his word first in their lives into a place of wealth. Now, the Bible tells us in 1 John verse, chapter 1, verse 9, 
that God will forgive our sins, is faithful and just to forgive our sins if we confess them to him. That's a work of the Holy Spirit, a continual work of the Holy Spirit that we can expect to always work. It's a spiritual law. It's more sure and more real than even the physical laws of nature. In the same way, there is a specific work of the Holy Spirit that the Word of God tells us that is designed to bring us into wealth that God may establish his covenant with us even as he established it with Abraham. Thou shalt remember the Lord thy God for it is he that giveth thee the power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant which he swear unto thy fathers as it is this day. Now I'm going to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28 is the chapter in the Bible where the blessing of Abraham and the curse of the law is identified more specifically than any other place. I don't want to read the whole thing, but in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 12, the Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heaven to give the rain unto the land in his season, and to bless all the work of thy hand, and thou shalt lend unto many nations, and thou shalt not borrow. Now, folks, it doesn't say that it's a sin to borrow. If it was a sin to borrow, it'd be a sin to lend. He's just simply saying, that because of this special work, this divine, divinely declared work of the Holy Spirit that provides this power to get wealth, he's simply saying that we won't have to borrow. And notice where it comes from. This blessing, the Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heaven, to give rain unto thy land in his season, and to bless the work of thy hand, and thou shalt lend unto many nations, and thou shalt not borrow. So there is a, a spiritual force, a force that comes from heaven itself, that is just as sure and just as present as the power of God to forgive sin. What is this power to get wealth? It originates its source of origination is with God. It's something that the Bible warns us about having the right attitude and remembrance of.
Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, God's instruction to Israel at that point in time, bringing all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open unto you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, and he, will, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Notice the results of tithing is that the windows of heaven are opened unto you. Now there are times where the windows of heaven are mentioned. Second Kings chapter 7 tells us about a city that was under siege from the enemies of Israel and the, the siege has gone on so long and the conditions of the city have deteriorated to such a degree that people have begun to eat one another now folks I know that that's a, a literal rendering of what was taking place in the city. But that's something that just boggled my mind. What kind of hunger would somebody have to experience before they even thought about an option being to kill your neighbor and eat them? But it was a terrible thing that they were experiencing and so they called on Elisha, the prophet, and Elisha said, this time tomorrow there would be such an abundance of food that the greatest measure of food would go for just pennies. And there was an advisor to the king that heard what Elisha said And it was beyond anything he could, could comprehend or believe. And he makes the statement, if God opened the windows of heaven, how could it be? And Elijah turns to him and says, it'll be just what I said, but you won't be able to experience the blessing of it. Well, the next day, there were these four lepers who were living at the gates of the city. And they came up with a plan. They asked themselves, why do we sit here and do nothing? They said, why don't we go to our enemy? If they take us in, then we can be spared. Our lives can be spared. Or if they kill us, all we do is die. And we're going to die if we don't go in to do something else anyway. So these four lepers went 
to the enemy camp and they found everything deserted. There, there was no enemies left anymore. The Bible tells us that during the night, God caused them to hear an abundance. Uh, they heard a sound that sounded to them like it was an abundance of horses. And so the enemy, trying to figure things out, came up with the idea that Israel had hired soldiers, mercenaries, and that was the sound of their horses that they were hearing. So they left everything that they owned, ran away in fear. And the four lepers eventually came back to the city and told what they saw. And the children of Israel went to the enemy camp and brought all the possessions back to their city. And this advisor that had spoken about the windows of heaven being opened expressed his disbelief in the words that the words that Elisha had proclaimed he was trampled in the city gate as the people went rushing out to witness the spoil of their enemies but there are other times that we might consider the windows of heaven that the Bible doesn't identify them or call them that. One that I can think of is that when Jesus was first beginning his ministry, there was a multitude of people on the seashore and Jesus asked Peter if he would loan him his boat so that he could push away from the water's edge just a bit and teach the people. Well, Peter's reward for that in Luke chapter 5 was when Jesus told him to let down his net for a catch of fish. Peter tried to argue with Jesus a little bit and said it was the wrong time of day to fish. They'd been fishing all night and hadn't caught anything. But he said, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the nets. And he did so, and they had a net-breaking catch of fish as a result. Well, that's a kind of a window of heaven blessing. There are numerous miracles that Jesus performed in his earthly ministry that might qualify as windows of heaven blessing too. The multiplying of the loaves and the fishes for the 5,000 and the 7,000, that'd be a window of heaven blessing, wouldn't it? Now, folks, I know that 
tithing kind of goes in and out of favor depending on the circumstances of life. But the Bible specifically says that there's a connection between the window of heaven blessing and bringing your tithes into the storehouse. There are two outstanding things to, to recognize about what Jesus, about what the Word of God says concerning the tithe. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you, unto you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. One of the things, one of the unique things about this is that it's the only place where the, the Bible ever says put God to the test. There are numerous times where Jesus rebuked people for looking for a sign instead of believing the words that he taught. But here he says, put me to the test. Another thing, the second thing that's unique about this is in verse 11. God says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, that he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast your fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. This is the only place in the Bible where God says he'll do something about the devil on your behalf. Every other place, every other place, it talks about you taking your authority and standing in your authority to do something about the devil for yourself. I consider those two pretty important points. Now, folks, I want to say that there's some part of Malachi chapter 3 we can't relate to because the condition of the people that this instruction is given to is that they're under a curse. But God's not the author of curse. And God's not going to curse you if you don't pay your tithes. I know that tithing is sometimes being, been taught kind of as a, a stiff arm move to, get, to guilt people into paying their tithe so that they don't put themselves under a curse. I don't believe that's the right way to preach it. But right on the other hand, I have no doubt, and it is my personal conviction. that paying your tithes is a very important part of the power to get wealth.
Some people might say, well, there's nothing in the New Testament about paying your tithes. But there is. In Hebrews chapter 7, this letter is written to the Jewish Christians. Now, it's written before 70 A.D. We don't know exactly when it is written, but it's written before 70 A.D. because that was the time that the temple was destroyed. But it talks about how that men on the earth, talking about the priesthood, receives tithes. So if they're still receiving tithes, then they're operating prior to the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. And the author of the book of Hebrews, I believe it's Paul. But in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 8, it says, And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witness that he lives. What we do with our money and our possessions has a lot to do with what we believe that God would have us do. In Mark, Mark chapter 10, verse 17, it tells us the story of the rich young ruler. It says, and when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and thy mother. So his purpose is to find out what he must do to inherit eternal life. Jesus says, Keep the commandments. And the rich young ruler responds in verse 20. He answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. Notice that Jesus loved him when he had his possessions. What he's telling him to do doesn't have anything to do with the, the feeling or the affection that Jesus would have toward him. But he said, one thing thou lack, go your way and sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying and went away, went away grieved for he had great possessions. Folks, I would submit to you that the possessions had him. Now notice what Jesus did not tell him. He didn't tell him that he needed to start paying tithes. And I believe there's a reason why that's not part of what Jesus said. 
I personally believe that that's part of what made him rich as a young man. But let's look at a little bit more of this story. Jesus tells him the thing that you lack is treasure in heaven. And the way you get treasure in heaven is take of your own possessions and having an attitude, a grateful and giving heart to give to other people and help them. Verse 23, Jesus looked round about and said unto his disciples, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answering said unto them, children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. Notice the disciples' response when Jesus said it's hard for rich people to get into the kingdom of God. They're astonished. Now, what does it mean that they're astonished? One translation says they were surprised out of measure. Why are they surprised out of measure? Well, one thing, to whatever degree they know about the blessing of Abraham, one of the first things we find out about Abraham after God appeared to him and told him to follow his direction to what we know of as the promised land. It says Abraham was very rich in silver and cattle and gold. The Bible tells us when Abraham sends his servant out to find Isaac, a wife, this servant declares to Rebekah's father that God has made his master rich. So the disciples must have some knowledge of the blessing of Abraham and the things that it supplied for them. So Jesus continues to explain to them. He says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure. So however astonished they were before, they're astonished even more so now. Now, folks, if Jesus was a homeless guy, they would have a different attitude as they followed him. For one thing, there would be no point in him having a treasurer. And remember, Judas was the treasurer, the keeper of the bag. 
times when Jesus would send Judas out to give to the poor to take care of some group of people. The Bible tells us even, John, I believe, is the one that tells us that at the Last Supper, when Jesus gives the special piece of bread to Judas, he then leaves the place and goes to betray Jesus. It tells us that the disciples thought that Jesus had sent him to give to the poor. Now, folks, think about what this is saying. There are times when people leave the service, and I normally think they are headed to the bathroom. But there's never been a time where somebody got up to leave the service and I thought, well, there they go to give to the poor. But that was the normal way that Jesus operated. They did think that about Judas. So they're now astonished out of measure, saying among among themselves, who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, said, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know how the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. Now, folks, Jesus came to act as our substitute. He was our Passover. But Paul doesn't pull any punches here. Talking about why Jesus came to the earth. And he says one of the reasons that he came to the earth was to pay the price of poverty so that we might be made rich. Now, don't let the word rich throw you. We don't have a promise that we'll be the richest people in the world. We'll have more money than Bill Gates or whoever. But rich means an abundant supply. One of the reasons that got me going in this direction this morning is that I came across a uh, uh, a survey that was done in the last part of last year. And it says that 62%, almost two-thirds, of the people in America are living paycheck to paycheck. 
That's a dangerous way to live in the last days. One of the things that the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 28 is that God will pronounce or command the blessing to be upon our storehouses. Well, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, you don't have a storehouse. But there's a specific work of the Holy Ghost. that tells us that God watches over our financial affairs and commands the blessing on our storehouses. Now, what would you think the result would be if God commanded a blessing upon your savings account or retirement fund or whatever that you or I might have. Is there any way that the blessing of God could not produce an increase? Luke chapter 6, verse 38. It says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down and shaken together and running over shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet or give, with all it shall be measured to you again. Brother Hagen told a story of a certain traveling minister. This would have been back in the 1930s, I guess. It wasn't during the Depression, the Great Depression, but it was pretty close to it. There was a church that this traveling minister went to. And every night, it was a, I think it was a two-week meeting that this guy had at this church And every night before he would get into his message, he would read Luke 6.38 and just talk about it for just a minute or two. And then he'd go on with whatever the, the theme of the meeting was. But after having been there for a couple of weeks, he told the people that he was aware of the financial shortage of the church he was ministering in. They had done some kind of building project and had run out of money before it was finished. And they needed $10,000 to finish the work well, I don't know what $10,000 would have been like in 1930s. But I would imagine it would be much more than that same amount of money today. But anyway, this traveling minister 
took his Bible and laid it on the altar rail in front of the in the front part of the church, and he opened it, this Luke six thirty eight, and he told the people what he was going to do. He said that he was going to be the first one to give, and he put a hundred dollars on top of his Bible, open to Luke six thirty eight. And he said to the people, let's clear up this financial deficit. And he said, I'm going to ask you to give whatever the Lord puts on your heart to give. And he said, in 30 days time, if you don't know of or have something happen, in your finances, then you just write me and tell me about it and I'll give you your money back. Well, they got the $10,000 and the reports, the testimonies that they had of what God had done in people's lives in that next 30 days was just over the top. Do you remember when we read several places where the Bible talked about manna and how at each time, each place, it says, which your fathers knew not? God wants to do wonders in our finances. He set the Holy Spirit. Of course, this isn't the only work that he's done or that he does. But when it says that he, has, he gives you power to get wealth, that's the Bible declaring that the Holy Spirit is involved in our finances. He's involved in the, the salaries that we make. He's involved in the blessing upon our storehouses. And just as God sent manna every day for 40 years to provide for the children of Israel in a way that they knew not, in a way that no man had ever known, It's the same Holy Spirit that wants to lead you and me out of poverty, out of lack, and into his blessing. 
Now, I'm not saying this because we're running a deficit here at the church. I'm not going to take an offering. So everybody take a deep breath. But I am bringing these things up because I want you to put your faith on them. I want you, over the next 30 days, to begin to confess that you have the power to get wealth, that God has given you the power to get wealth. Folks, I don't want you living paycheck to paycheck. And God doesn't want you living paycheck to paycheck either. It's not up to me to tell you what to do with your money. It's not up to me to get involved with your financial affairs in any way other than what I've done this morning. And my purpose this morning is to show you that God wants you to be blessed. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that he that you through his poverty might be rich. How was Jesus made poor? He wasn't spiritually poor. Spiritually poor don't raise the dead. How was he made poor? Well, he had a, wore a piece of clothing that was too nice to cut into pieces. It tells us that the Roman soldiers that took him to the cross gambled for it. Now, folks, can you imagine anybody that would want a homeless person's clothes? Let's all stand for a moment. I want to pray over you. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you. We see your willingness to prosper your people. Father, I pray for everybody that claims this church to be their home, that you would increase each and every one of us. 
that you would command the blessing upon our storehouses, that you would increase us, that our flocks and our herds would multiply, that our silver and gold would multiply, and that all that we have would be multiplied. We see that the chastisement of our peace was upon Jesus and that increase is very much a part of your redemptive plan. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we speak financial provision to multiply in our lives. We thank you, Father, for turning our poverty into riches. Our hearts are on you, Father, and we seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. So we thank you for adding all these physical and financial blessings to us. In Jesus' name. Now say this after me. In the name of Jesus, everything I have is being multiplied. God is providing for me just like he provided manna in the wilderness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Father, for seeing to, to our provision in a great and mighty way.
Father, we thank you for opening the eyes of our spirit that we would know the hope of your calling, the riches of your inheritance, and the exceeding greatness of your power that works in us as believers. Thank you, Father. You never leave us nor forsake us. And because we abide in you and your word abides in us, we thank you for hearing and answering our prayer. We count it done in the name of Jesus. Is it done? Amen. God bless you folks. Have a great day.